Six and a half minutes past 12. This is a midday live here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Of course, it's a Tuesday today, the 2nd of April. Easter is gone now. Uh, we're back into the swing of things. The chairperson of the Marikana Commission of Inquiry, Judge Ian Falam, has turned down an application by the Human Rights Commission for submission of certain documents the, HR, the HRC felt were relevant for phase two of uh, the commission. And uh, the National Heritage Council uh, is set to kick off a campaign to return the remains of one of the Khoisan chiefs, that's uh, David Sturman from Australia, to the Eastern Cape. So we'll be uh, touching on that story as well. My name is Bongi Kwala and it's good to have you with us. We're together till one this afternoon. Our top story this hour is that of President Jacob Zuma attending the memorial service for the 13 SANDF soldiers killed in the Central African Republic at the Swarkop Air Force Base near Pretoria. The soldiers were killed on the 23rd of last month during a clash with the Seleka rebel forces at the SANDF base outside Bangui. The SANDF was in the CAR as part of a military cooperation agreement signed in 2007. Let's talk now to our reporter who is at the memorial service, Maluti Obaken. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Bonji. Good afternoon to the listeners. The memorial service is underway. Give us the latest. Yes, the memorial service is underway here at Air Force Base Swartkop in Pretoria. We have seen President Jacob Zuma arriving, Minister of Defense, Mayor Notiviwe Mapisha Nakula, as well as Lieutenant General Solisho, who has arrived. Uh, on the podium, a little while ago, it was Major Gianni, who was the commander of the soldiers based in Central African Republic. Uh, he told us what actually happened on that fateful night. He said that they were, where they were based, it's next to a road that was leading towards town, and they, they saw that the town was under attack, and they went and they went and tried to to to, to try to fight back, uh, but they were ambushed while they are on their way back to their base. They were attacked from behind by the enemies. All right, this this account are we hearing it for the first time of exactly what happened there? Bongi, may you repeat the question? Sorry, I'm saying that this account that you've just uh, uh, spoken us through. Are we hearing it for the first time of exactly what happened there? Yes, that's true. We're hearing this for the first time. For the past uh, week or so, we haven't heard actually what happened during the attack. We only hear that they were attacked by rebels uh, and then they lost their lives. But today, he explained that they were, they were, uh, they were trying to fend off an attack on, on, their, on their base and then the enemy managed to engulf them from behind and they were ambushed. And he explained the word ambushed in terms of military terms that it's the deadliest form of attack that you can use in military. Mm. And uh, talk us through the program. How far is it right now? We know that uh, President Jacob Zuma will be talking there. Uh, so is uh, the Minister of uh, Defense. The president hasn't spoken yet. Uh, the Major Gianni was the second according to the list to the program that I have here. Following there, I'm outside. I'm not sure who's on the stage right now, but I can tell it may be the Lieutenant General of the SNDF, General Solisho, who will be speaking now. It's a very from there, the president will speak later on in the next uh, 10 or 20 minutes. From the visuals coming through from uh, from that uh, Swarkop Air Force Base, it's a very somber moment here. I mean, uh, what, what I'm seeing really is uh, is uh, really sombering. It's it's really it's really sombering. Uh, Major Chaplain General Munabisi Chamangile did explain to that the, explain the mood how it is in here. He used that word that it's somber. Uh, the mood is not uh, people. You can feel that people have been hurt. He he said that yes, yes soldiers have been hurt. Have you spoken to the family members there, and and what are they saying? Because some have uh, have been very vocal about how they got to know about the deaths of their loved ones, but uh, also with all the developments and uh, media reports as well coming through every hour, changing every hour. What are family members saying? Family members, some who are here, they are expressing gratitude to the South African government on how they handle the the whole situation, but uh, media reports have emerged. Uh, I haven't heard it from the famous member who who was declaring the way in which uh, this situation was reported. Those who have spoken to 
too here, they are expressing their gratitude on how the government has handled this, has ensured that they, they receive the information of the passing of their loved ones. Thank you very much to our reporter, Maluti Obakeng, who is attending the memorial service of the 13 soldiers killed in the Central African Republic. It's currently underway at the Swartkop Air Force Base in Pretoria. But also we hear that uh, South Africa's uh, military mission in the Central African Republic has been sized down uh, to about 20. You remember that 200 soldiers or more were sent there earlier this, uh, this year, but now we understand only 18 remain there. There are many, many uh, reports coming through around this story some of them very controversial too President Jacob Zuma is to attend the extraordinary summit of the economic community of Central African states to discuss developments in the Central African Republic Presidential spokesperson Mek Maharaj says the summit will be held in Jamena in Chad. Zuma will be accompanied by Inter- International Relations Minister Maite Nkwana Mashabane State Security Minister Siabonga Kwele and uh, the Minister of Defense Nosiviwe Mapisa Ngagula. The summit was convened by Chad President uh, and uh, ECCAS Chairperson, uh, that's uh, Adris Derby there. I asked our presidential reporter Ntebo Mokobo to give us the latest from Jamena. You would recall that I mean, this evening President Jacob Zuma is expected to arrive here in Jamena where he will be a meeting with other African heads of state that would include among others leaders of the economic community of East African state. You would recall again that the president is invited to this meeting by the president of Chad, that is President Idris Deby, who is also the chairperson of the economic community of East African states. The main issue on the table is to discuss the political crisis in the, uh, in, in, in the Central African Republic, where 13 South African soldiers were killed and 27 of them were injured. You would recall again that the president is here by virtue of being the president of South Africa, South Africa that has lost uh, its 18 uh, soldiers in the fighting. The African Union has resolved that no uh, state would be recognized by the African Union if that state has come to power uh, through military means. Therefore, all the leaders who will be attending this meeting in Germany gathering will be discussing the way forward in terms of what will happen you recall again that I mean, uh, this country, the Central African Republic, has been suspended by the African Union, and it has been put under strict sanction by the economic community of Eastern East African states. So what's top uh, on the agenda, Ndebo, there? Well, very high on the agenda is the future of the Central African Republic, because you would recall that these Seleka rebels have decided that they will run the country for the next three years. That's when they will be ready to hold democratic elections. So it means for three years, a country in Africa will be led by rebels, of which those rebels are not even recognized by the African Union. Therefore, African leaders will have to decide what should happen now. And you recall again that, I mean, uh, some people were thinking that those rebels will be uh, invited to that meeting. But it seems as the principle or following the principle of the African Union, those rebels will not be invited to this meeting because by inviting them, that on its own would be seen as recognizing them. But there are some people who are saying that you can't decide the future of the, the, the Seleka rebels if they are not part of the meeting. Maybe uh, it would be a catch-22 again for the African Union. The security situation, uh, please bring us up to speed with that because the Central African Republic is not far from uh, Chad where this summit is taking place. So surely it's a volatile situation. Indeed, the Central African Republic for now is a volatile situation. But you recall that, I mean, uh, French troops are in the country and the African troops are also in the country that were there to give protection to South African assets that are in the country. And uh, that's Ntebo Mokobo there, the presidential correspondent who is in Jamena, in Chad already. It's 16 minutes past 12. Our top story this hour, the SA Human Rights Commission has begun an investigative hearing into the non-delivery of school learning materials across the country. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,597.30 an ounce. Platinum is trading at $1,588 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand 21 cents against the US dollar, 1398 to the pound, 1182 to the euro.
SAFM is giving you, our listener, a chance to attend this year's 14th Cape Town International Jazz Festival on the 5th and the 6th of April 2013. To stand a chance of receiving double tickets to attend the festival, SMS the keyword Cape Town Jazz and your name to 34766. SMS will cost you 150. Free SMSs do not apply. Keep listening to SAFM to find out if you are the winner. Are you up to date with the world of property? For all things property matters, what are your rights as a property owner and or purchaser? Are you a tenant or the landlord and you need advice? What is the value of your investment in commercial property in South Africa? What matters are of importance in discussing land ownership? Trust us to simplify and help you understand the detail in all things property matters. Join me, Dineo Mulomo, every week on Tuesday morning on Morning Talk at 10.30. 17 and a half minutes past 12. This is the Midday Live on SAFM 104 to 107. The chairperson of the Marikana Commission of Inquiry, Judge Ian Fallam, has turned down an application by the Human Rights Commission for submission of certain documents said to be relevant for Phase 2 of the Commission. The Human Rights Commission wants the National Union of Mine Workers that's known to provide records of discussions relating to disputes over benefits at Lonmin over the five years preceding August 2012. Let's talk now to our reporter, Lizelle Labuskakni. Good afternoon to you, Lizette. Good afternoon, Bongi. Now, what does the HRC's application entail? The HRC uh, made this application last week already, saying that they want certain documents from the National Union of Mine Workers about discussions between him and the employer Lonman five years um, previous from the unrest that we've seen on the 16th of August um, and also the records of the discussions that were made and disputes that the two parties had with each other. Now, Newman says that they will not give the documents to the Human Rights Commission, but it will take them a lot of time to compile the documents that it will have um, a lot of cost implications for the parties. They will have to go and look at these documents and that the Human Rights Commission cannot prove why they really need these documents and why do they need five years um, of, docu- of documents. So Fallon today then um, made the ruling that he, he is agreeing with the National Union of Mine Workers that there will be a huge cost implication and that he doesn't think that these documents are actually relevant to phase two of the commission. And if the Human Rights Commission does indeed want the documents, they should rather request Lonman to provide them with these documents. But uh, these documents surely should be readily available. I mean, it's documents of uh, labor uh, relations, uh, these ones. It shouldn't be such a big deal really to get them. Now, NIM also, um, when the application was first brought last week, indicated that it was not just for them about the merits of this specific case, but they are also testing the powers that the Commission have and, and how they will go forward um, in terms of such applications. This is obviously the first application that we've seen of its kind. And um, Advocate Court have indicated that they wanted to see how this will um, then impact further on the Commission's work. We know that Phase 2 is, is a very abstract um, phase where they will look at more broader issues such as migration and the impact it has on communities. And the the Human Rights Commission indicated that they wanted to participate in this phase and they do not have the documents to analyze. Um, Obviously, they cannot actually participate and make a meaningful contribution. But I agree with you in the sense that these documents are available and that um, them actually try to make a, a legal standing to say we are not giving you the documents and the Commission should rule on it. Now it will be interesting to see if the Human Rights Commission will indeed now approach London um, to see if they can get the documentation from them. Uh, besides saying that uh, these documents really are not relevant to the uh, uh, Commission uh, that is underway there, what else, what other reasons did the judge give for turning down this application by HRC? Obviously, you said you have to take into account what the HRC will suffer if they are not given these documents and how it weighs up with, with um, Noon's case. And he says that um, 
obviously the Human Rights Commission will now not have this document. And, and apart from suggesting that they might perhaps get it from London, he says it's, it's weighs heavier in, in the sense that London, that the National Union of Mine Workers will, will struggle to get documents. It will have cost implications. And then therefore, he doesn't think that, um, that the human rights made their case. It's too broad. And we know even when the application was brought by the Human Rights Commission that their advocate, um, Malindi, could not really explain why they specifically needed five years' worth of documents. And that was one of the main points that um, that Noom and even Fallen wrote them about and said, you know, you can give us no proof. Okay. Why five years? Why not two years? And um, I think that's one of the reasons why they then decided that there was not a strong argument by the Human Rights Commission why. All right, Lizette Labusakni, thank you very much for that update. Our reporter there covering the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. It's 22 minutes past 12 right now. And uh, let's tell you that uh, the Commander-in-Chief, the President of the Republic, is now addressing that uh, memorial service for the 13 SANDF soldiers killed in the Central African Republic. It's happening at the Swartkop Air Force Base near Pretoria. All right, uh, it's uh, 22 minutes past 12. Uh, let's see where we're going. We've got Tabiso Sitole here in the studio with me. Tabiso, a very, uh, really heartbreaking story. Swimming South Africa may not have enough funds to send a team to the World Championships in Barcelona. However, we're told swimmers in Suscox OPEX program will be looked after, and they include the London Olympics medalists like Cameron Vandenberg and Chad Leclerc. Mm. Just talk us through that. I mean, really clarify this issue because the, 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 the reports were saying that uh, there's no money so even the two are not mm. going there Look, I think that we, we, we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves in this mm. one uh, in terms of, of the reports that came through Swimming South Africa have lost a sponsor according to the reports of the newspaper Telcom which is where they a big sponsor mm. uh, pulled out, apparently they pumped in something like 12 million rands a year this to get um, teams ready, operational, etc., etc. But when teams go to Olympic Games, World Championships, uh, represent South Africa, basically, they fall under the auspices of SASCOC by virtue of being the South African Sports Confederation Olympic Committee. Mm. Now, whether the two, Cameron and uh, Chad, are not going to the World Champs, I think that's, we, we should take that with a pinch of salt. These are two Olympic medalists, first and foremost. So they would get invites to a lot of huge, huge championships. The doors will open for them. Yeah. One. When you speak of OPEX, OPEX being Operation Excellence of Athletes, it can be swimmers, can be rowers, can be athletics, can be anything. Any athlete with an ambition to go, for example, World uh, Cup or World Championships, Olympic Games, and the Federation takes them to Saskatchewan and saying, look, we're looking for 2016 Rio uh, Olympics. This under 12, this under 16 has got great potential. We need him to be assured of whether it's, it's, it's sustenance at school, uh, mm, whether mm. those kids, uh, once agreed upon, once they fulfill certain mandates provided, uh, uh, acquired by Saskatchewan, automatically fall under OPEX. Mm. And these kids, they could even get a soccer lollipop bought mm. for them. That is what Operation Excellence provides for our athletes and, uh, and swimmers or whoever, actually. So that if they are, for example, holding full-time jobs, they don't have to quit their jobs. If they do have to quit, they have some sort of income to last them through the year. OPEX books everything for them. I spoke to both Saskatchewan and some South Africa this mm. morning, and, and they said, but there's nothing for us to say. We've never said Chad and whoever is not going. Some South Africa must come to the table and say to Saskok, here's a team that we're taking through to the world champs. Um, do you approve? Do you not approve? Mm. And we might need funds for one, two, three, four. Then Saskok can say, look, okay, we've got budget for this. We don't have a budget for that. What exactly. about your coffers? So that's what I'm saying. We shouldn't get ahead of ourselves because none of these athletes or swimmers we're talking about have even qualified for the World Cup. No, no. So, so then they can trim their squad accordingly. But what, what matters is that they get a list or they come up with a list and yep. say, these are the athletes or whoever makes that demand. And they say, you, because yeah. of these shortcomings, then you're not, you're not going to go. Yeah. But where does this story come from? Well, that's why I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, I spoke to both Saskok this morning as well as, as, as the gentleman quoted in, in, uh, in the papers, um, Sean Arunsa from, from, from South Africa. He said, yeah. look, uh, I did speak to a journalist who from the Times, but you know, there's a couple of things that were untruths and, or maybe he did not get me right. And fair enough, sometimes as journalists we do say, ah, this is what he meant. Look, I think we shouldn't jump, jump the gun on this one. None of these swimmers have, uh, have qualified yet. Um, mm. So let's see what happens. If, 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 you know, once Swimsider says all these, or once the swimmers themselves say, 
this was required from me by Sascock. They said I should get these times to make the team for South Africa for the World Championships. They are now saying there are no funds for me to go to the World Champs. Then I think there we can actually start getting worried and ask the pertinent questions. Qu- quickly, uh, Tavisa here, now, now, now that uh, we've lost, or Sascock has lost that uh, 12 million rand sponsorship. No, that's from South Africa. But what does that then mean? You know, for training programs and so on and so on. Surely that will have a negative impact. That's a huge. There's a, there's that is, that's I think this is the huge problem right there that uh, Swim South Africa have, 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 have got to deal with immediately. They've got swimming nationals coming up uh, sometime in the year, preceding the World Championships in July. Where do they get the money to do that? How uh, do you lose a sponsor like that when we have, we did so well in London, for instance? Sometimes it comes back to the whole issue of why. Uh, uh, Olympic athletes did not have a clothing sponsor. Why didn't uh, you know uh, local companies jump on the bandwagon? Why did they have to go to China to get uh, sponsors? Then we do have the Chinese who come and sponsor us. They say, "No, we should have done South African." Sponsors do not want to spend money on a long-term uh, project. They want to go quick buck. Go to the Olympic Games for that year, for, for, for those 12 months. We okay. get branded, brand our athletes after that pull out until the next Olympic Games. Thanks for clarifying that. Tavis Tole, our sport reporter here at the SABC. The North Gauteng High Court in Pretoria has granted a final urgent application to have the Institute for Democracy in South Africa, IDASA, liquidated. IDASA's Executive Director Paul Graham stated in court papers a liquidator must be appointed as a matter of urgency to safeguard and protect IDASA's assets and to ensure they are secured from depreciation of everyday life. The institute was established in 1987. Lila Magnus reports. What took about 26 years to build were destroyed in less than a minute with a court order. The Institute for Democracy in South Africa focused on building sustained democratic societies in South Africa and Africa. IDASA's chief director, Paul Graham, says everyone associated with the institution is sad to see it closing down. People have had an amazing work over the last 26 and a half years and uh, at the same time they are quite convinced that there are people out in the society at large who, who maintain the values of IDASA and will, will continue to work for democracy and a democratic alternative throughout the continent. He says he believes IDASA's legacy is that democracy is the most appropriate way in which countries should be governed. The commitment to particularly the transparency in regard to the ways in which governments behave the way they publish their budgets, the way they respond to citizens. I think these are all things that over the last number of decades IDASA people have worked for, and we see these things happening in many countries on the continent, and especially in South Africa. Graham says the work they have been doing for more than the past two decades will continue to live on, even though the Institute will not exist. Democracy has to be fought for every day and by every generation. And in that sense, building democratic societies is an ongoing um, struggle for every new generation that comes. And we want to see the, the born freeze of the society starting to pick up that vision. And in that sense, Vidas' work is, can never have been done. But I feel proud that we were able to contribute to a society which is standing on very different ground now than it was in 1987. IDASA depended entirely on local and international funding. According to court papers, IDASA owed more than 470,000 rand for staff salaries this month and could not pay it. By the end of 2011, IDASA had accumulated losses of more than 26 million rand. The court papers state the directors of IDASA believe they would be an ongoing concern this year as they had a projected income of more than 140 million rand from donors. But between December 2012 and last month, the donations didn't materialize and their liabilities exceeded their assets. Graham says in court papers, it is imperative that a liquidator be appointed to safeguard the assets from depreciation of everyday life. Lila Magnus, SABC, Pretoria. And with that, we say good afternoon once again to Aureli Kalenga with the news headlines. 
Thank you very much there to Nancy Richards. We'll see you then, Nancy. Uh, that's uh, between 1 and 2 right here on Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And, of course, as we said, President Jacob Zuma uh, addressing that uh, memorial service of the 13 soldiers killed in the Central African Republic uh, that is uh, currently underway at the Swart Gob Air Force Base in uh, Pretoria. The Auditor General Terence Nombembe warned at the National Council of Provinces that unless local governments improve, the future of South Africa is bleak. The Northern Cape was singled out as one of the provinces where drastic measures need to be taken. After rising above 50 index points in February, the seasonally adjusted Cajiso Purchasing Managers Index has pulled back below the crucial uh, the 50-point mark, that is. The PMI has lost almost 4.5 points in March. Meanwhile, manufacturing activity in the Eurozone's largest economies continue to shrink, spurring concerns about economic recovery in that region. Dimakatso Lishoro reports. The Cajiso Purchasing Managers Index has been struggling to stay above the 50-point mark. For most of 2012, the index hovered below 50, mainly due to the tough global economic climate in the past year. In February, the seasonally adjusted Cajiso PMI surprised on the upside. It jumped from 49.1 points in January to 53.6 points last month. This was the first time since August 2012 that PMI was above 50. The uptick was short-lived, however, as it has not tapered back to 49.3 points in March, denoting a contraction in the sector. Analysted Vunani private clients with Governor says last month's increase was a once-off. That seems to be indicating that February was not so much a trend as, a, as opposed to just a, a once-off. The decline was largely driven by weaker sales orders. Andre Cotier, who is Managing Director at the Chartered Institute of Purchasing and Supply, says this is partly indicative of slowing consumer spending. Secondly, also, uh, you know, it's, it's, one can ascribe this to the prolonged recession in Europe. Cotier says consumer spending is likely to worsen as more and more consumers struggle to put food on the table. Combining with what's happening in the rest of the world and especially Europe, I think um, I'm actually slightly uh, more negative than, than anything else at this point in time. The PMI also showed that expected business conditions took a nosedive. Kutsia says people may be more nervous about certain factors going forward. That plunged by almost 10 points to 47 um, and the first time in many months that the expected business conditions sub-index is below 50. This deterioration in demand and production resulted in negative growth in the employment sub-index. Employment shed the gains made last month, dropping by 3.1 points to reach 42.6. The sub-index has stubbornly remained below its pre-crisis peak of 60.6 index points. Governor explains. The most of the numbers are not just uh, low, but below 45, which is indicative of of, of really, you know, a dire situation. Kutsia says employment in PMI is unlikely to return to the pre-crisis peak in the foreseeable future. Even in, um, you know, in the period where the PMI actually um, expanded quite nicely, the employment sub-index continued to sort of decline. And now with the sector under pressure, I actually see a further deterioration. Meanwhile, the Eurozone's largest economy, Germany, has seen its manufacturing sector shrink slightly in March to 49 points from 50.3 index points. Germany's manufacturing sector, which accounts for one-fifth of the country's economy, was also hit by new sales orders, raising doubts about the strength of a first quarter recovery. In France, manufacturing activity retreated for the 13th month in a row in March, while Italian manufacturing fell more than expected, shrinking for the 20th straight month and at the fastest rate since August last year. The 44.5-point PMI suggests that Italy's longest recession for 20 years may be deepening as the country struggles to form a government following an inconclusive election in February. Governor says this is not good for South Africa. So as long as we have this, this situation, the Eurozone continuing to be as weak as it is, we are going to be quite reliant on demand out of China, to some extent out of the U.S., uh, for, for our export growth, etc. For SABC News in Johannesburg, I'm Dimagata the Auditor General Terence Nombembe warned at the National Council of Provinces that unless local governments improve the future of South Africa is bleak. The Northern Cape was singled out as one of the provinces where drastic measures need to be taken. Only 11 out of 32 municipalities in that province handed in financial statements for the 2011-2012 period. Anel Hendedrich reports. Opposition party in the province.
Alright, we're going to have to come back to that one uh, And now we'll have to give us uh, that uh, story again But I must uh, tell you that uh, indeed It's a sad day for our servicemen today uh, Really a somber moment and a somber mood there In uh, Pretoria at the Swartkop Air Force Base That's where President Jacob Zuma is addressing The memorial service of uh, the 13 soldiers Who were killed in the Central African Republic And uh, I, I went out to... Um, uh, what what do you call this thing? <laughs> uh, but I saw the, the the demonstration by by the SANDF. I saw the hawk uh, at uh, the rancho, yes, where the the defence force was uh, exhibiting. Uh, I saw the hawks. It's called the hawk. This this aeroplane. It's fast. It's the fastest thing that you can ever imagine. It turns twenty times on air and uh, really really out of this world. So whatever is happening, really, whatever the situation is today, but we must be proud as uh, South Africans uh, about uh, that. It's uh, 22 minutes to 1. This is uh, Midday Live on SAFM, uh, South Africa's news and information leader. The SA Human Rights Commission has begun an investigative hearing into the non-delivery of school learning materials across the country. Provincial education MECs are making presentations and responding to questions at the HRC office in Johannesburg. Human Rights Commission spokesperson Isaac Mangena says they are particularly concerned about the situation in Limpopo. And uh, shortly, we're hoping to be talking to the National Heritage Council CEO, uh, Sonabile Mangnochwa. This is uh, uh, set to kick off a campaign to return the remains of one of the Khoisan chiefs, David Sturman, from Australia to the Eastern Cape. Sturman was one of uh, the few known people who successfully escaped more than once from uh, Robben Island where he was incarcerated for his uh, persistent fight against colonialism between 1808 and uh, 1809. If his uh, remains uh, are returned, Sturman will join Sarah Bartman whose remains are buried in Hengi. Bartman's uh, remains were returned to South Africa from uh, France uh, in May 2002. In fact, uh, let's uh, go to that story right now. Uh, do we have uh, Sunwabila on the line? No, we don't. Okay, so we will go back to that. It's uh, 20 minutes to 1. If I were to tell you that a simple act like boiling less water in your kettle next time you make a cup of tea could have an influence on South Africa's future, you'd probably think I was joking. <laughs> After all, you're just one person. It's one kettle, one cup. South Africa is a water-scarce region whose water resources are vital. Let's remember that each and every one of us has a responsibility to conserve water and protect our future. Water is life. Respect it. Conserve it. Enjoy it. A message brought to you by the Department of Water Affairs. It's me, Jonathan, in the Big Apple and bringing you the breaking news. On April 4th, Top Billing takes its shortest journey ever. From Tuesday night to Thursday night. It's not like we're going from New York to London. That's right, just Tuesdays at 8 to Thursday nights at 8.30 p.m. We'll still be taking you around the world in just an hour every single week. We'll just be doing it on Thursday nights at 8.30 p.m. From the 4th of April, see you there. The National Heritage Council has kicked off a campaign to return the remains of one of the Khoisan chiefs, David Sturman, from Australia to the Eastern Cape. Sturman was one of the few uh, known people who successfully escaped more than once from uh, Robben Island, where he was incarcerated for his uh, persistent fight against colonialism between 1808 and 1809. Let's talk now to Denny Gokan, Communications Manager at the National Heritage Council. Denny, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you and to your listeners. How did uh, Sturman end up in Australia? Uh, you know, every time that uh, this question comes up about Sturman, it really stirs emotion mm. among the Khoi and Sun peoples of this country. Now, it so happened that he was one of the Khoi people who defied British rule back then. Mm. And he persistently 
fought against being under the British rule and detained, incarcerated on Robben Island, where he escaped several times. And on the third occasion, the Australian government decided to deport him to Australia because he, according to them, was becoming extremely ungovernable and uh, they were in fear that he would spread that attitude mm. of undermining the their rule to others to disobey their rule at that time. And he was taken by ship from South Africa together with... Uh, with, with, with others to Australia City, where he worked as a servant on the farms without any compensation. All right. Now, now Danny, what I need to, to find out, I mean, why do you have to uh, mount a campaign to return the, his remains? Uh, why don't you just go to Australia as South Africa, as the National Heritage Council, and just get the remains and bring them home and do the rituals that, that go with that? This is a history of about uh, two centuries ago. We would be celebrating his uh, 240th birthday today. Mm. And you would agree with me that going back to find accurate historic evidence and information of 200 years ago is not such an easy task. Mm. So this is partly to ask South Africans and those who may have sources of information that can be credible evidence for us to start to rewrite this important history, to come forth and share it with the stakeholders. But do you Secondly, know... Yes. It is also very important that we start on the right footing so that we are able to trace back with almost reliable accuracy that we bring the descendants of uh, Chief Irman on board. It's now not an easy task to ascertain as to who is a direct descendant or relative. That is a very important matter to bring the family as part of this exercise. It's actually a very important process, but do you even know exactly where his remains are at the moment in Australia? We do not have uh, the accurate location of where he is, what grave number he has been allocated, but there is certainty that he is buried in Sydney. And we have already started communication with the Australian government and cooperating at a very high level that uh, the search for his exact location should be completed soonest so that we are certain we will uh, achieve, even though it would not be with much ease because of the lack of evidence. All right, uh, thank you very much there to Danny Gulkan. Surely we'll be talking to him again in the future about this particular issue. Very interesting. It's part of our history, and I'm sure the Khoisan people will be very excited uh, about this. It's uh, 14 minutes now to one. Let's say good afternoon to Clinton Smith of uh, Sasfin Securities. Clinton, uh, how are the markets are looking today? Afternoon, Bongi. Uh, well, we're trading slightly higher today as we play catch up on on, uh, on the rest of the world after the public holidays. Uh, currently, uh, the gold board is down one uh, percent at the moment. Resources are down 0.3 of a percent. Uh, industrials up one percent, and financials up 1.1 percent. Uh, overall, the market's up 237 points at the moment, or 0.6 of a percent higher at uh, 40,098 points. And we had uh, Jubilee Platinum coming out with uh, results today. 
Uh, yes, well, Jubilee Platinum came out with uh, with the interims this morning, and uh, as much as we've seen in the other platinum miners, they reported a headline loss there of uh, 1.4 pence a share, which is uh, which is even greater than the uh, uh, 1.24 pence uh, loss previously. Um, although their revenues were up by 61% with, with Jubilee ramping up their, their smelter operations, and uh, the share price is actually up. Uh, Jubilee are trading 4.6% high at the moment at uh, 1 rand 15. And uh, who are some of uh, the big movers in today's trade? Uh, on the upside today, Ultron is up 3.3%, uh, trading at 21 rand 70. Uh, Barlow World's up 3.2%, at 98 rand 88 cents. Uh, MMI is up 2.9%, at 23 rand 90. And Grinrod up 2.5%, at 20 rand 50 cents. And then trading lower, Palamon. <clears throat> Palamon's down 1.8%, at uh, 103 rand. Uh, Anglo American's down 1.5%, at 235.80. Uh, Life Healthcare is down 1.2%, at 34 rand 18. And lastly, Lonman is down 1.4%, uh, trading at 40 rand 60 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? Uh, gold's currently sitting $1,598. Uh, platinum, uh, slightly higher, $1,590. Uh, Brent crude at currently $111.20 a barrel. Uh, the yield on R157 is currently 5.46%. Uh, and then finally, the rand's at 9 rand 20 to the dollar, uh, 11 rand 82 to the euro, and 13 rand 98 cents to the pound. And that's it for me. Clinton Smith, Portfolio Manager at Sasfin Securities, thank you very much. And uh, shortly, uh, in fact, uh, President Jacob Zuma has concluded his address at the memorial service of the 13 soldiers killed in the Central Republic, uh, African Republic that is taking place at Swarkop Air Force Base in Pretoria. So we'll bring you highlights of uh, his speech shortly. My name is Ashraf Garda, and I'm one of the ambassadors of the Shake the World Millennium Bracelet Campaign, which aims to raise social awareness of the eight Millennium Development Goals set by the United Nations in the year 2000. Now, all the goals are equally important and interlinked, but the ones closest to my heart are Goal 2, which is achieve universal primary education, and Goal 4, which is reduce child mortality. Education, as you know, empowers you, and it should give you economic freedom, which should then reduce the number of child deaths. Now, by wearing these colorful beaded bracelets, I'm pledging my support and commitment to helping my country achieve the MDGs through active citizenship. That's how I'm shaking the world. How do you shake the world? This is SAFM. SAFM is giving you, our listener, a chance to attend this year's 14th Cape Town International Jazz Festival on the 5th and the 6th of April 2013. To stand a chance of receiving double tickets to attend the festival, SMS the keyword Cape Town Jazz and your name to 34766. SMS will cost you one rand fifty. Free SMSs do not apply. Keep listening to SAFM to find out if you are the winner. It's at 10 to 1. President Jacob Zuma has just concluded addressing mourners at the memorial service uh, for the 13 soldiers killed in the Central African Republic at the Swartkop Air Force Base in Pretoria. This is, an, this is an extract of his speech. This is a period of mourning, a period in which we must pay our respects and honor these selfless compatriots who remained true to the oath of office that they took when they joined the South African National Defense Force. Unfortunately, there are those who have decided to use this period of money to try and dishonor the memory of our heroes by peddling various unfounded allegations and conspiracy theories. There has been a deliberate attempt to cast doubt and distort the purpose of Operation Vimbezela, our mission in Central African Republic. will not be sidetracked 
by those who are on a perpetual campaign against the democratic government. Let me emphasize that we reject any insinuation that these soldiers were sent to the Central African Republic for any reason other than in pursuit of national interests and the interests of the African continent. Our national servicemen died for a worthy cause. They died in defense of the country's foreign policy. They died defending our commitment to the, renew, to, to the renewal of the African continent and to the promotion of peace and stability which would lead to sustainable development in Africa. President Jacob Zuma there addressing mourners at the memorial service for the 13 soldiers killed in the Central African Republic at the Swarkop Air Force Base in Pretoria. The Higher Education Transformation Network says it has asked the Minister of Higher Education, Dr. Blade Nzimande, to establish a commission of inquiry into the, into the death of a first-year student at the Pochestrom campus of the Northwest University in January 2012. Tabang Mahuang died during a fruit festival event held at the Fani Tutoy playground. An investigation which was commissioned by the university outlined that no individual could be blamed for Mahuang's death and that it was accidental. Sister Sikhalo, compile this report for us. The Higher Education Transformation Network says there is new evidence which is pushing them to ask for the investigation to be reopened. Executive Director Reginald Lekwabe says five former security employees of the Northwest University have approached them about two weeks ago saying that they have new evidence that was never investigated. Lechwabe says one of the employees claimed that there's an existence of a video that showed how Makwan died. Lechwabe says it is in light of this new evidence that they are calling on the Minister of Higher Education to commission an independent investigation. What we can extrapolate from this testimony as well as the statement that we have from the allegations of these five former security workers, including the former executive advisor to the council, indicate that as an organization have got reasonable grounds to reject the original finding from the university's internal uh, report that was done by Advocate Busi Picoli and the Guanen because there are a number of uh, shortcomings. Lechwabe says according to the employee's testimony, a number of important factors were left out when the original investigation that was conducted by the independent advocates that were hired by the Northwest University was done. The new evidence in our possession indicates that, number one, key respondents, people who should have been witnesses in the original investigation, were not interviewed. We also have issues with the manner in which the investigation was conducted, with the presence of the university's legal advisor throughout the interviewing of witnesses. The Northwest University says it is not aware of this new evidence. Vice-Chancellor Dr. Tienz Ilov says they are, however, aware of the allegations by their former employees. Ilov says the advocates have investigated those claims but found no merit in them. There's nothing new in that. They tried to link the views of six disgruntled uh, former employees to this. There's no link. I don't, I don't see a link. Uh, we've investigated that. The, the advocates have investigated that. So I still have to see what new information uh, will come to light, and, and we're waiting for that. As for concealing the information and lying to the media, Ilof says the university couldn't have done that as they were not in charge of the investigation. We weren't in charge of that. The advocates were. It wasn't for us to conceal. The advocates could ask us anything they want, and they could see anyone in, in the university. The Student Representative Council at the University has meanwhile also welcomed and pledged their support on the move by the Higher Education Transformation Network's call for the reopening of the investigation on the case. I'm Sisi Sekhalo for SABC News.
If you're a regular listener to Time to Travel on SAFM on Wednesday evenings just after 9, you'll know that I always encourage you to become tourists in your own town or city. And what I'd like you to do is to take a moment and think about something unusual or different that you'd like to share, something you'd like to highlight that makes your town or city so special, something you wouldn't hesitate to recommend to a tourist to your area. Then send me an email to travel at safm.co.za or post something on the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM. As soon as I have a good selection, I'd like to start a feature on the show called My Town. And who knows, I may even call you up and invite you to tell the listeners all about it. Time to travel with Karen Key. Listen up for Shop Shop Children's Program on SAFM with Leon Fisser, starting the 11th of March at 10 minutes to 2 weekday. And it is Shop Shop, it's Shop Shop. Are you up to date with the world of property? For all things property matters, what are your rights as a property owner and or purchaser? Are you a tenant or the landlord and you need advice? What is the value of your investment in commercial property in South Africa? What matters are of importance in discussing land ownership? Trust us to simplify and help you understand the detail in all things property matters. Join me, Deneo Mulomo, every week on Tuesday morning on Morning Talk at 10.30. It's uh, just a minute and a half before we say our goodbyes, but I must tell you that uh, El Elwani is a movie uh, that uh, has had 11 nominations at the 2013 Africa Movie Academy Awards, so we're hoping to talk to Florence Maseb there. Uh, she stars in the movie, So, uh, but unfortunately we've just run out of time, so we'll try and bring her back to talk us uh, through this movie. What is it all about, and when are these awards, so that we can cross our fingers as uh, South Africans. But an uh, interesting story here that we did earlier on, that of the National Heritage Council, uh, setting um, to kick off a campaign to return the remains of uh, one of the Khoisan chiefs, uh, David Sturman from Australia to the Eastern Cape. Sturman was one of uh, the few known people who successfully escaped more than once from Robben Island where he was incarcerated for his uh, persistent fight against uh, colonialism between 1808 and 1809. Uh, if his remains are returned, Sturman will join Sarah Batman, whose remains are buried in Hankin. Batman remains were returned to South Africa from France in May 2002 and you heard there as we're talking to Danny from uh, the National Heritage Council saying that it's really a long process because they haven't even identified the exact location of where Stillman's remains are so well that's very interesting it's uh, one o'clock right now and that's where we leave it for today let's say good afternoon once again to uh, the team at Otherwise